Hello and welcome to the QI Chatroom podcast, where we bring you the latest in health topics. I'm your host, Max Perret. This podcast is brought to you by Aliados Health, formerly known as the Redwood Community Health Coalition. You can learn more about us at aliadoshealth.org. Today's episode will be hosted by Arlene Pena in conversation with Communicare Health Centers. Arlene will be leading us as we take a deep dive into diversity, equity, and inclusion within the community health center space. Diversity, equity, and inclusion reforms are critical and challenging. Communicare Health Centers strives to be humble and learn from their staff and the communities they serve, as well as commit to their own development in unlearning patriarchal, heterosexist, white supremacist systems, while learning anti-racism best practices in trauma-informed care. They will share their journey and specific examples of DEI and anti-racist efforts in their organization and community health centers, including agency-wide education efforts, changes in recruiting, hiring and retention practices, and a renewed and reinvigorated focus on equity and inclusion among their staff, as well as the health equity outcomes of their patients and clients. Joining us today from Communicare Health Centers is Yvonne Page, who is the Respite Services Supervisor servicing individuals experiencing homelessness. Yvonne is a licensed marriage and family therapist and a member of CCHC's Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Committee, as well as the People of Color Coalition and Gender and Sexuality Subcommittees. Yvonne has worked for CCHC for over five years. Sarah Gavin is the Chief Behavioral Health Officer she oversees a team of 125 behavioral health and substance use personnel providing services across Yolo County in diverse settings. Sarah is a licensed marriage and family therapist and a licensed professional clinical counselor and has worked at CCHC for 15 years. Suzanne Edsonton is the chief medical officer. She practices full spectrum family medicine and is also a professor at UC Davis where she has been involved in creating a more diverse medical workforce and has also been involved in many health equity initiatives. Suzanne has worked at CCHC for three and a half years. Desiree Spignor is a behavioral health manager. She is the founder and co-creator of the Persons of Color Coalition, creating and facilitating safe spaces at CCHC for conversation. Desiree is a licensed clinical social worker and has worked at CCHC for five years. Thank you to our panelists for joining us today. I would like to start by asking CCHC, can you tell us about your DEI journey? How did you arrive at your current state? Great, I can start. Good morning, everyone. I just wanted to provide a little bit of context about the work that we're doing at Communicare and kind of setting the stage for some of the more intentional work we've done with workforce in the last few years. And so uh, the history of our FQHCs is similar as others in that we were created out of a social justice movement and the concept that healthcare is a right, not a privilege. Uh, so at Communicare specifically, we started in 1972 as a free clinic uh, by you know volunteer doctors led by Dr. Jones, who really believed and was passionate about medical care being provided in tandem with substance use treatment. So we've provided substance use treatment since our inception. And since then, we've really looked at creative ways that we can partner with the community um, and uh, you know services that you wouldn't necessarily typically see at a health center, including uh, strong partnerships with our criminal justice partners, and we host a diversion program and reentry programs. And um, and like other health centers, we're uh, not only serving individuals that are underserved in our community, but individuals who have been, of course, disproportionately impacted by social determinants of health, systemic racism, and trauma. And so our commitment to DEI has really been there th since our inception through our services. Uh, but in the last few years, we've looked really intentionally internally at our workforce and the individuals uh, providing these services and, and really looked for ways that we can support um, all of us in doing this work together. So we really started in looking at obtaining feedback from our workforce and being that being the top priority before we start changing things that we really wanted to start listening and asking questions. Um, and that's really how we started this process. And uh, Dr. Edson Tong can share a little bit about how we started those listening sessions with our employees. Yeah, 
Definitely. And I actually just wanted to make a comment as well that when I first came to Communicare in 2019, um, uh, it, it struck me that the, our leadership team was was much wider than most of the rest of our workforce and certainly than the patients that we were serving. And so that was just something that was really clear to me from the beginning. And I also want to say that I think in doing this work, it's really important to acknowledge like who we are and where we're coming from. And I think it's also really important to acknowledge all of the work that's been done for so many years by our colleagues of color that's often gone unrecognized and like unrewarded um, or unacknowledged. And I think it's super important for white allies to be really involved in this work and particularly when we're in leadership positions. So I just wanted to say that because I think sometimes people shy away from it a little bit maybe mm -hmm. because they feel like, oh, this is not my work to do. But I think it's super important that we're all really deeply in, in this work together and, and coming from a very humble place, I think is is really important. Um, so when when I came to Communicare, I know, you know, we had some initial, especially Sarah and I had some initial conversations about sort of the state of things. And I had had some previous experience doing conversation cafes with the medical students at UC Davis, which is a, a, a nice way of taught in a group setting talking about um, sort of challenging topics. Um, and so I decided, we decided together that we would do conversation cafes with every single one of our employees um, in all the different departments at all the different sites. And so we began doing that um, in 2019. And I can talk about the results of that a little bit later. But then we also realized in that process that not everyone was comfortable um, being completely honest and giving honest feedback in that setting where even though we're in small groups, talking in small groups, it's still, you know, not anonymous. And it, you're still really putting yourself out there if you're saying something that's different than what other people are saying. And so then we also launched a sort of informal follow-up to that, which was an anonymous survey. And then later in our process, we actually formed, we decided we really needed to form a diversity, equity, and inclusion committee that was mostly comprised of staff members, but also had some leadership team members on the committee as well so that we could you know, advance and move initiatives forward. And part of the subcommittees that came out of that was a survey subcommittee. So then we did a really much more formal, in-depth, um, DEI survey of the entire organization. Um, and I'll, I'll say that we got an 80% response rate, which is pretty amazing. And I credit that a lot to Sarah because she was very <laughs> persistent about trying to get everyone to answer those, those surveys, Sarah and the subcommittee. Um, and so, and then you know, out of the sub, I mean, out of our committee, the DEI committee, we formed multiple subcommittees, which you'll hear a little bit more about. Anybody want to add anything to that? <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that piece. Um, can you share a little more about um, what uh, you all learned from the feedback um, from the cafes, the surveys? Yeah, so I'll just start by talking about the conversation cafe results, and then I'll, I'll let others talk about some of the other things that we we discovered. Um, but certainly, so we started in the conversation cafe asking what we thought, what people thought we did well around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think uh, what people really focused on was our service to the community, that they felt like we really served our community well, that we met people where they were, we had good interpreting services, um, we had gender neutral bathrooms, that was one thing people met at, um, mentioned. We also have this training that we do called Care Principles, which is really about being patient-centered. Um, and everyone in the organization, from the leadership to, you know, um, everyone that's employed by Communicare takes this training. So that was another thing that people mentioned as being really great. Um, and then talking about what we could improve. One of the things that definitely came up every single time was that we should improve diversity in our leadership and upper management, for sure. Um, another thing is that people really wanted more trainings on diversity, inclusion, equity, privilege. Um, and there was definitely feedback that we needed to recruit more diverse staff and professionally, I mean, especially our providers and our clinician staff really needed to be more diverse. Um, 
people wanted to improve our sexual orientation and gender identity questions on forms and things like that. Um, and, and one comment that people made, which I think really kind of summarizes the, the feedback from the conversation cafes is that we do a lot for our patients, but not as much for staff. And so I really think that that kind of summarizes that they felt like we needed to have more mentoring support and promotion of diverse staff, more training for managers in supporting our diverse staff, um, acknowledging staff concerns. And so those were really, that was really a lot of the feedback from the conversation cafe. So I'm gonna turn it over to Sarah to talk a little bit more about the survey results. Thanks, Suzanne. And so after that, we decided to take the same questions and put it in an anonymous survey with appreciation that not everyone feels comfortable giving um, feedback in that kind of, you know, public way. Um, and I would just share that that the themes were very similar to what uh, what was just described. However, we received more specific examples of what this looked like, which um, were meaningful and uh, just greatly appreciate the people that took, you know, time and vulnerability and sharing some examples of what this really looks like in their experience. So again, total appreciation for the services and our history and kind of what we do for patients and clients in the community and looking for ways that there can be more belonging, um, which Yvonne and Desiree are going to talk a little bit uh, more about and ways that we can support diversity in all levels of the organization. Um, and then a lot of feedback on microaggressions and uh, wanting more education on microaggressions um, for managers, supervisors, and, you know, identifying how to handle that, how to report, um, and appreciation for, for opportunities for feedback. Uh, and so we created that in, in 2020 and sent out. And then, the, then there was a DEI subcommittee that really developed, and, and Desiree was greatly a part of this, um, de like developing a really robust DEI survey, looking at actually rating areas of belonging, rating, you know, experience with, um, diversity of colleagues and, you know, just, it was really comprehensive and that's the one that we received 80%, which I feel really great about um, response rate. Um, and so we're taking that feedback from the surveys and the Conversations Cafe and integrating it into the DI committee and the work and continuing to keep that alive because this is, this is feedback that our, you know, that our workforce took the time to, to let us know about. Great, thank you for sharing. Um, are, are there any other comments around um, what you learned? Great. Well, I would like to ask if you could share um, what steps you've taken or or took to create more belonging. That sounds like something that staff really wanted. Um, um, I can go ahead and get us at least started um, on that conversation. Um, I know in 2020, after the public execution of George Floyd, um, there was like, you know, the constant bombardment of, uh, of racism and violence against BIPOC folks in the media. It just became really overwhelming. Um, and I think I can, I think it came really, it became really overwhelming for lots of folks, right? Um, but especially for um, folks, you know, people of color who have to come to work being that we're all front, I got air quotes for frontline staff. Um, don't really like that word, but yeah. So people, we were continuing the work that we were doing. We're continuing to work in the communities that we um, uh, work in and coming to work and being, um, carrying all that weight. It just felt like uh, there was space needed for us to be able to process. Um, so, you know, Yvonne and I worked work together. Um, we start having these conversations um, and and just thinking about like, wouldn't it be nice for us to be able to have some formal space set aside um, while Yvonne and I had each other. There are, of course, other people here. So started reaching out to other people and asking if they would, if the space was available, would they participate? Um, does it feel like something that would be helpful? Um, and we got pretty positive feedback all around. I took it to my um, supervision group. I got some positive feedback there. And then um, we had a conversation with Sarah, um, being that she's part of leadership and she's, you know, part of, she's our leadership as far as behavioral health is concerned. Um, and she had the idea for us to bring it to the DEI committee, which we did. Um, and there's more leadership, as was mentioned before, on the DEI committee. And we were able to um, get the space created. And then from there, it just grew. Um, we started a book club. 
so the original space was a safe space. So it's supporting activism and advocacy, but advocacy by fostering empowerment. And so that space is really for folks who identify as people of color and, um, and are not in positions of power. Um, so that space is a space that we have that meets twice a month. Um, and it's specifically for folks to come and just process anything that might come up, um, anything that they might be going through, any sort of big uh, traumatic events that folks go through, um, especially again, people of color together, we can process it there. Um, and then we have a book club. Uh, the book club is open to everybody um, and we meet once a month and we talk about books or we read um, books about unlearning and anti-racism. Um, addressing microaggressions, and we kind of suss through the books together, um, like How to Be an Anti-Racist or The New Jim Crow. Um, and then we've also created another um, forum. It's the open forum, and again, that's open to everybody. And that's a little bit more structured where we talk about, uh, uh, let's see, microaggressions. We're currently going through um, white supremacy values and talking about like how those might impact the work that we do, how they might show up for us, um, how we are able to uh, address that with each other and kind of uh, creating it. And again, unlearning and creating new ways of uh, thinking and processing. And I think the main component is the facilitation of those spaces, it's very clear in the, in the beginning that it's a safe space for folks to come, um, to ask questions, to make mistakes. Uh, and I, I think, again, uh, a lot of that, having the, <clears throat> excuse me, having the buy-in from leadership and having leadership's ear and leadership's um, willingness and wantingness to, to learn and, and create these spaces with us was huge. Um, and there are some more spaces, but Yvonne can go ahead and uh, talk about that and whatever else she wants to add. Wow, that was great, Desiree. Um, I just, I'm just going to piggyback a little bit on uh, uh, one of the most important things is that it really just takes a village. You know, um, our our organization and its leaders they place diversity, equity, and inclusion at the forefront of its mission, and. Uh, when the need came up to create these safe places, safe spaces for us, um, it was really crucial having having the buy-in from leadership. It was vital to to making a strategic plan as far as collaboration for times, space, you know, making that space for folks to be able to attend, and and also for us to see leadership actively involved in these committees, you know, involved in DEI committee, involved in the subcommittees, you know, involved in open forum and, uh, you know, the book club, it shows a lot to uh, the rest of the organization that these, this is a crucial part of of our mission. And also, like Desiree was saying, when ideas are formed in these subcommittees and you have leadership there, it's the strategic planning coming up with plans to make these ideas happen. It's so much easier and it's 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 just amazing. So having that leadership component along with, you know, um, creating these safe places and spaces for folks to talk and communicate, it's just been, it's been wonderful. Um, also, what I, I feel is also important is that leadership constantly kind of like encourages managers and supervisors to encourage their teams to participate and that it's okay. And these spaces are provided for, for everyone to come and kind of just be with folks, like Desiree was saying, either to just be and listen or to talk about things that have been affecting them. You know, we have we have SAFE for POC, and we're currently developing SAFE for the LGBTQ community as well. So, um, yeah, it's just done wonders to have to have that buy-in, to have that team philosophy around such an important topic. That is so wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. I love the tools and spaces you've created for your staff to have safe conversations around this topic that can be intimidating. Um, so I really love that. Um, any additional comments around steps taken within your organization? I, I just want to say, I, I think that I feel so grateful to the people who, especially Yvonne and Desiree, who've done so much work around this. Um, and I think that we're really lucky to have um, people who 
are feel passionately about this and want to create that space for our employees and um you know trying to figure out how to support uh, them as as a big part of of what i feel like is is our responsibility and leadership but absolutely well, it sounds like retaining, reaching diverse candidates um, has also been an area of focus. Uh, can you share more about how you're trying to reach and attract more diverse candidates within your organization? Yeah, and I, I can just start this off and then pass it off to other people, um, particularly thinking about providers and in particular primary care providers, because that is sort of my responsibility and certainly um, was one of the feedback um, from the conversation cafes and the anonymous surveys was that we we really needed to have a more diverse workforce in that regard. Um, and just, I think most of us, many of us know this or have heard this, but I always think it's important to revisit why having a diverse um, healthcare provider workforce is important. Um, so, I mean, I think it's obvious for a lot of us, but also I think when providers more accurately match patient population, patients are more satisfied and they tend to receive more culturally responsive care. And also diversity in the healthcare workforce leads to more diversity of thought and, you know, being able to approach challenges within the healthcare system and have creative and effective solutions. And when you have a diverse provider workforce, it increases patients' sense of belonging within the healthcare system and so hopefully increase their trust in receiving care. Um, and finally, I think I feel really strongly about this, that everyone having access to a career in healthcare is a social justice issue. So we should all have equal access to a career in healthcare and to, you know, being a provider if that's what we would like to do with our, with our career. Um, so in order to try to increase our, specifically our primary care provider um, diversity, we really did, we try to do targeted outreach and recruitment for people. And so, you know, going to, um, you know, residency fairs with, with um, at, at residencies that we knew had diverse residents, for example, and things like that. So I, I'm gonna turn it over now because there's a lot more specific things that we did um, that other people can talk about. Um, I'll go ahead and jump in. Um, so part of our DEI committee, we've formed subcommittees, as was mentioned previously. Um, one of those subcommittees is the workforce subcommittee. Um, and we've spent a lot of time in that subcommittee working on um, addressing like HR related issues. Um, so addressing like how uh, reports of discrimination um, for example, are handled by HR. And so just looking at the flow, um, kind of reworking some of the flow um, for that, um, having conversations about addressing microaggressions um, and where that's a constant ongoing um, conversation. We're constantly trying to uh, chip away and, and um, make changes and adjust as we can. Um, and then also having like a more diversified um, hiring panel um, so we outreached to uh, folks, um, just generally staff, staff in general and asking folks um, like if they would like to participate so that we're able to get people in different um, positions of, of, of power um, and then different um, ethnic or uh, racial makeup. So when people are interviewing, we get feedback from uh, different points of view, which are always good to, to be involved. Um, there was also some work done on job descriptions as well, and Sarah could share more about that. Yeah, and just as, as Desiree just mentioned about all the work around DEI, like kind of overlap with human resources, I just want to share that our chief of HR is on our DEI committee, and as folks are developing those committees, that that is a really important role because so much of, you know, we're talking about recruitment and retention and employee wellness is overlapping with that department, and so it's really important to fold those individuals, especially the leaders in that make, you know, policy decisions. Uh, we did add uh, a DI specific uh, um, in, intentional language to all of our job descriptions to, to explicitly call out um, our values. And I just want to mention that we, we included language about specifically calling out the value that we have of individuals with lived experience. Um, 
specifically in the criminal justice system. And so we're talking about systemic change and um, ways in which we can support and contribute to systemic change. That's a, it's a big part, it's a huge barrier of employment that individuals face. And um, of course, all the inequities that happen in our criminal justice system just to get to the point of, of, um, of that. So uh, I think that's really important. We hire, of course, we have many peer support advocates employed at Communicare that use our lived experience, but we also have many employees at Communicare that have lots of letters behind their name that have tremendous lived experience that, that adds to the value of the work that we're providing. Um, and in addition to that, we added um, some DI-specific questions that we asked during our interview process at first and second interviews for everybody, for any any position you know that are applying for at Communicare. Um, and, and the intention of that is twofold. One, of course, is to hear and evaluate really someone's um, critical thinking around issues related to DEI and hear kind of their perspective about how they see their contribution or what their relationship is with this work and how they see it playing out here. Um, but also it sends a message to, our, to candidates applying here that this is a value of ours um, and that it's an evaluation criteria that we're using about, you know, in hearing, um, you know, and wanting investment in all of our workforce in this, in this work. Um, um, and then of course, training, uh, training our employees and our workforce. And that's just a huge, huge area of consideration and effort here. Thank you. And that's actually a perfect segue for our next uh, question, which is, we know training is a huge issue for organizations. How are you um, at Communicare handling this area of focus? Yeah, I, I can get us started here. Uh, I, when we were looking at uh, consistent systemic training for our workforce, we really wanted to start with our manager, supervisor, director levels. We really see individuals with, of course, um, privilege and power and, you know, at our organization is really setting the tone and, and, and in some ways um, maybe being at risk for doing more harm, you know, because of their position of authority. And so really focusing on, we, we contracted with BEAM, uh, Black Emotional Mental Health Collective, to do a training for all directors, managers, supervisors, and our DEI committee uh, on um, not only issues related to DEI, but also emotionally intelligent leadership and how to, um, and how to enhance those skills a little bit. Um, and then we have uh, contracted with Beloved, uh, who's, a, who's our DEI consultant um, currently, um, on some further training, again, around the same issues around um, uh, supporting individuals and microaggressions and anti-racism work specifically for leadership. And so, and then there's been, um, and we'll talk, we can share a little bit more about the training for all staff, but we felt like there was intentional uh, effort and importance put in looking at people with, with, with privilege and control at organization first. Um, and so I don't know, we, uh, Yvonne, you want to talk a little bit about micro, yeah, the microaggressions training? Sure, sure. Uh, so I had the, the privilege of being invited to uh, do a training on microaggressions with Suzanne and another colleague of ours, uh, Ian Kim. Uh, this, this training specifically focused on microaggressions and it uses uh, a model that um, kind of focuses on the recipient of a microaggression, the source, and a bystander. And so it's, a, it's kind of a guideline as to how to respond to microaggressions when they happen or if they happen. And it looks at these three vantage points. And we were able to do this training for behavioral health and primary care, both sides. So it was a series of trainings. We made sure everyone was able to attend. And um, there were some very rich conversations that happened during these trainings, uh, which I feel just it's such a crucial component to understanding what microaggressions are, how to handle them, how to to when to see them, where to go, you know, who to talk to. Um, it was quite a learning experience for for everyone that uh, participated in that. And it's going to be ongoing, you know, that, that's that's it with this kind these kinds of things, DEI, microaggressions. It's just it's ongoing process. And um, yeah, thank you. Wonderful. That is so informative and such important trainings to bring to your organizations. Um, so what are some things happening right now that you haven't uh, mentioned yet? Yeah, so uh, we also, like Desiree touched on uh, the Open Forum and the Book Club, which are which are two very, very vital uh, groups and meetings where we 
get together and really delve into some pretty difficult topics. Um, and Desiree is crucial in that, which she provides questions. We break out into, into groups and kind of really discuss in detail, you know, our feelings, our thoughts, learning, unlearning, um, and kind of, it's a safe place where we can all kind of have open dialogues about, about feelings and thoughts about some pretty challenging issues. And, you know, it can be a little intimidating and scary. So we all kind of just trust each other to, to be on that journey together in these, in these spaces that are safe for all of us. And, and just to add to that, there's training and then there's the integration of concepts. And I think, you know, many of the activities that have been described that, you know, Desiree and Yvonne are leaders in is really looking at how to integrate and have hard conversations and challenge and reflect and be open to feedback and um, which really takes it further. It's not as passive as only, um, you know, absorbing information, but it's how, you know, how we're having these conversations and how we're learning and growing and, and addr addressing bias. And um, we're also giving, for any new employee at Communicare, we're giving them one of the books that we're offering in the Anti-Racist Book Club. And so it sets, again, the tone for a new employee that's starting to say, you know, they select a book that they want, we invite them to the book club, and, you know, we don't have control over whether they read it, but it definitely sets a tone that this is a value of ours and that it's important. And we, you know, we expect that people are integrating this knowledge and, and learning and unlearning. Yeah, I think um, in addition to that, uh, we've uh, done a lot of work as far as like our cultural uh, humility training. Um, uh, there's, we've expanded it and it's become more robust, um, especially as people are onboarding and having conversations with their uh, direct supervisors. And again, just making sure that we're having conversations with people, checking for understanding. Um, uh, we've been doing a lot of work around creating a space. Um, and again, definitely a work in process, uh, process but um, uh, wanting to integrate more of a feedback culture here where we're able to, you know, have conversations in the moment um, and uh, accept any sort of um, harms that people say that we might have done and having conversations around that and just, you know, general space and grace for people to unlearn. Um, we also have a monthly newsletter that goes out um, that summarizes all the work that we're doing um, because there's so much work going on. Um, and, you know, people are, you know, we're an organization of over 500 people um, and people, you know, have their day-to-day -day jobs to do, but just to keep people in the loop. Um, and then offering that space, all the subcommittees are open to, for folks to join um, and participate and provide feedback. Um, and so we keep that going and kind of, you know, uh, keep kind of a running list of like what we're working on, what progress we've made, um, our survey results, stuff like that. Um, and then we've also had the opportunity uh, to be part of the trauma-informed and resilience-oriented um, healthcare uh, grant initiative that's going on with ACEs Aware. Um, and that's the way it's being implemented in Yellow County. We're trying to uh, create a trauma-informed network of care um, with other outside organizations. Uh, we had um, some grant funding, so we were able to offer a four-part trauma-informed resilience-oriented training um, to all of CommuniCare staff, as well as the community partners that are involved in the ACEs Aware grant, um, where we're reviewing like the six pillars of trauma-informed care. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion issues sh need to be trauma-informed. Um, I think it's woven into all the work that we do and the intentionality behind it. Um, so I, it was a great way for us to also incorporate that information. Um, I think, I'm not sure if I'm missing anything else. Well, that's great. I think I, yeah. oh, yeah. Is it okay if I add something? I was going to say, I think that what Desiree was just describing around the trauma-informed network of care work is such a great example of how we're really trying, I think, as much as we can to really center justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion in all the work that we do, so, right? So I'm sure everyone knows where we have an upcoming merger with another healthcare center, and, and we're really trying to center that, you know, those principles in 
all of the work that we're doing and all of our committees that are being formed to figure out how to do the merger and going forward. And we, you know, we try to center it whenever we talk about anything really in our executive team meetings. So I think it's just really, um, it, it has to be interwoven in everything that we do. Yeah, and our and our philosophy is that, or our intention is that the DEI, you know, the responsibility of that work lives in all of us. That it's not one person. And so, I know, um, you know, at the beginning of some of this this um, specific work, there was sort of discussion about a DEI related position, and we held off on that position because there were so many people involved that we didn't want it to be silo. We wanted to, you know, there's so much energy and commitment, and so. Um, now we're at the point where um, really the Persons of Color Coalition really identified needing some assistance, some help with some carrying out some of these initiatives and sustaining some of these initiatives. So we've hired a DEI coordinator position um, that's really going to support these initiatives. But it's already set, the culture has already been set that there's so many people involved in this work and that we don't, we want it to be the responsibility and the accountability of all of us in all levels of the organization to really make change in this way. Um, and so, and we're also working with uh, beloved ARC DI consultants um, to work on a DI specific strategic plan. So, looking at kind of memorializing the work that we're doing, creating some accountability and vision for the next few years, keeping the energy going. Uh, and I think it's really important to say because we've shared some of these activities with others, and there's a lot of focus on on the consultant. And the consultant has been great and wonderful to work with, but I cannot say enough about our own employees and workforce that have really driven these changes and come up with these innovative ways to engage individuals and 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 listen to what people are saying that they want and really created the change of this organization that led us to thinking, oh, let's get some support for for all of us that are doing this work. So, I you know and you know Desiree and Suzanne and Vaughn are all part of that, but um, there's a lot of work to be done, and we're excited you know, we're excited and energized to continue to do this work. Well, I actually have one question around when you start this work. Um, some staff may feel like it's intimidating to be in the same space as leadership and have these conversations. And I'm just wondering if you can share a little bit about like how you approach that or some of like, did you have, you know, group agreements or did you, how did you set the tone to really invite staff to feel comfortable to, to have um, these conversations in spaces where leadership was also present. Yeah, I could just start that, but then definitely have everyone um, say your perspective too. But I think as particularly with the Conversation Cafe, it, it, there are group agreements. It's like part of the process. Um, and so that is really important. And I think we've learned that we just there can't there can't be any wrong door as far as giving feedback and have right. So there has to be multiple ways that people can give feedback. And some people aren't gonna feel comfortable giving feedback with leadership in their room. And so that's why it's so important to create other types of spaces where that's not the case. But yeah, I can uh, piggyback off of uh, that a little bit. I think uh, having the safe space, uh, Susan's point. Having um, that safe space is helpful because we have conversations in that space about um, things that we can take, being that we we are also part of the DEI committee. So there's things that we can take to the DEI committee and um, part of, parts of the other subcommittees. Um, so having the safe space for folks to come and just process and, and be open about um, uh, what their experience is um, and, and stating like they're okay with us taking it to leadership um, has been super helpful. Um, and I think as far as being part of the DEI committee, um, it's been real helpful. We spend time in that space to kind of get to know each other a little bit more um, and have um, conversations. And we do have group agreements um, and uh, uh, created, we started off by creating um, like a mission statement, um, creating goals um, and to make sure that we're all focused on the same, uh, you know, focused on the same things and that we were able to ground ourselves in our, um, you know, our mission statement if something might, you know, if we might have a, you know, a disagreement and having that space again, being okay to have an open disagreement in um, and really utilizing that feedback culture. 
Yeah, I just I just want to add that at the beginning of the development of the DEI committee, this was a huge area of consideration. Like leadership's involvement, not involvement. What does it say if they're not involved? What does it say if they are involved? And I think that question is really <laughs> imperative about, you know, you know, how do you make that work? And I, you know, I think there was definitely some anxiety for individuals in participating in a way where there's some individuals that have had no exposure to leadership, have no, based on their role at Communicare, really don't interact with leaders, don't, you know, like in that way and don't, don't have contact with them. And so I think part of this process has also been, I'm hoping intentional trust building and relationships that kind of cross the hierarchy, which is what we're trying to do anyway, in creating relationships and, and feedback and opportunities to be honest and authentic and um, share difficult conversations. And I know some other organizations that didn't include leadership in their DEI committee because of the safety, kind of the emotional safety concerns, and that their initiatives haven't um, been as productive because, because you need leadership's buy-in and, um, and, and, you know, to, to propel some of these some of these ideas so it's been a balance and i don't know yvonne if you have morris i see you smiling so I <laughs> sure i can just add a little bit um i just feel like for me it's we're all in this we're all in this together you know we're all on this journey of learning and unlearning together and like sarah and des were saying it's we're really intentional when we have like open forum or the book club about setting guidelines to keep the space safe for everyone because we're all there for the same reason you know and and our intention is to be able to have difficult conversations because that's where change happens and that's where growth happens so um yeah it was challenging at first but i think we've like i said there's a lot of trust building that has happened and and it's it's been amazing. Wonderful. Thank you um, to all of you for sharing. And I actually think we have a question in the chat. So this question is from Margie Powers. Have efforts been made to go further upstream to create diversity in the health center workforce, um, i.e. high school, community college pathways and programs? Yeah, I can start maybe with that. I think you know, thinking about the pipeline and and how do we support uh, people in making those decisions to to go into a healthcare career, um, whatever that looks like for them. So um, we have actually recently started sponsoring high school students um, through a program with actually it's Sacramento Valley. Um, Medical Society, actually, but but we're sponsoring high school students from our community um, in certain periods of time, just to you know shadow different people within our health center, um, all the different types of roles that you can have in a health center, and so I think that is really important and supporting all kinds of. The other thing that I think that we do. Um, is that we have lots of learners in our space. Like we have, you know, all kinds of students, medical students, midwifery students, um, FNP students. We have interns, you know, we have, we have our MA externs, we have behavioral health interns, um, and we have family medicine residents as well. And we also have dental. I forgot about the dental interns. So I do think also just supporting learners is important in that as well. Um, and yeah, I think, I think, do other people have any, have things to add to that? Just, just to add a, a few specifics uh, around behavioral health. We also have uh, a grant right now where we uh, wrote in stipends for our student interns in social work and, um, and uh, substance use counseling, if they identify as being, um, uh, bilingual and bicultural that we're offering um, paid paid internships was the first time we've ever done that and been able to do that and it was you know specific we wanted to focus on recruitment in that way um, diverse recruitment um, and then also I just want to share that we really uh, put a lot of effort into our creating pathways of our own employees in returning to school and and progressing in their career and so I feel so excited about all the employees working in behavioral health that you know, um, you know, started with roles with us with case managers and are, you know, went to get their masters in social work or counseling because they're around 
um, individuals that are doing that and have done that and been able to support and also that as an organization we've been really mindful about keeping someone's employment while they're in school and being flexible and supporting as they you know as they um, further their education so I, I do think our own employees are also a, you know a, a pipeline to lots of different you know careers if they choose to pursue those great thank you for speaking on that and thank you margie for that really important question um do we have any other questions from our live audience? Um, hi, my name is Valerie and I do have a question for the panel. Uh, it's about measuring success and tracking the process. So um, first initial question is, have you done a follow-up survey? And then the second one is, are you finding and seeing the DEI culture on your staff floor? And when you see it, do you do a shout out? Do you uh, do an acknowledgement to let them know that, oh my gosh, you know, you, you're listening and you're, you're practicing our DEI? I can speak to the survey part. We are, we are intending to do a follow-up survey and we wanted a little bit more time because we have surveyed a lot, our staff a few times around these issues. But yes, we want, we want to do a follow-up survey and measure changes. And I think we specifically also want to um, look uh, at belonging as a measure and how people are experiencing that. And then of course, the diversity of our staff at all levels of the organization, that's something that we can measure and we've been collecting data on that so we can look at that long-term through human resources. Great, thank you for speaking on that and, and sharing um, additional ways you're strengthening this work and making it sustainable. I was also hoping you could share some of the challenges you have faced in doing DEI work at Communicare. I'm happy to start, which is, I think some of the challenge is time. I mean, you mentioned buy-in from everyone, and I think there really is buy-in from everyone. And I think, you know, finding the time mm -hmm. to, to have trainings and even things that are optional, like, for example, our book club, um, our unlearning book club, and, um, you know, like our open forum and things like that. Um, they're at lunchtime. And so, you know, making sure that people, number one, feel like they can go, but then also feel like that there, there's time for them to go and that they're not distracted by getting their notes done or whatever. So I think that, that, that can be a challenge for people. And I think we're continuing to try to, um, brainstorm around ways to be able to get more people to participate in those, those activities. I was just going to say, like, I agree. I think even like for our safe meeting is it's towards the end of the day. It is part of uh, it's scheduled in intentionally as part of like your work day. Um, however, it's from four to five and that's hard for folks to do, um, especially for direct service providers, because it's like it, it I think because everybody is in this field um, uh, to support people um, to get well uh, and mm. it's really challenging to like try to find time for yourself during the work day to do that because it you know it's just it's again part of that unlearning process it's the way we've been socialized to believe that we have to be like super productive and and, and how that like you know um, might reflect on us as workers or whatever um, but it's really hard to get people to to just you know not have a client or not have a, a patient at that time and put some time away for themselves. And it's, you know, um, are, these meetings are like once a week or they're once a month or, you know what I mean? And still it's, it's really challenging. So I think time is, is huge. Um, yeah. And negotiating time. I, I know for us to be able to even get this space to begin with, um, there was some larger, longer conversations. It wasn't just like mm -hmm. one conversation. Okay, cool. You guys, you know, you guys can start meeting. It was, let's try to figure out what works best for everybody. Let's figure out how we can even negotiate that. So mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, it's definitely a huge challenge. Mm -hmm. Because I imagine you can leverage all staff meetings and certain existing meetings, but there's a limit to that, right? Because you also have to cover the required agenda items. And so, you know, it's such important work that you don't want to try and squeeze it into another existing meeting that's, mm -hmm. right, know. right. 
Right. And we don't want people to feel overwhelmed. Like this is just like one more thing. You know what I mean? Um, so that's also a challenge as far as like navigating that and, 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 and even finding times to fit the DEI work um, in to like your, like your small, you know, the smaller meetings, staff meetings, all staff meetings, um, you know, figuring out creative ways to let's talk about it for five minutes and kind of back to the question that Valerie had asked as far as like seeing the DEI work that we're doing like implemented on the floor mm -hmm. um, or like in, in, in program. Like I think that's, um, from my experience, that has been um, the most impactful, um, being able to see it mm -hmm. um, happening on the floor and with the staff that we're working with, um, how they're integrating it, how they're um, having conversations around it, how they're addressing um, addressing clients or clients' perspectives or mentioning it like we're staffing somebody, mentioning how like systemic racism might have um, impacted them and how that might be surfacing. So it has like, it's, it's definitely, again, we're definitely a work in progress. Um, and, and I know we were talking about challenges, but we're definitely a work in progress. Um, but, you know, you're able to see it. Um, you're able to see it. And that's really, that's really encouraging. Yeah, it is. You're able to see it in, in real time, you know, so that is encouraging. I, I'm glad you said that, Desiree. I have a I have a real example from last week as and it might seem minor, but it's an example of what Desiree just talked about. So Desiree led an open forum where we were looking at, you know, aspects of white supremacy and how that shows up in work culture and kind of evaluating about, you know, how and not there's things you can change and there's things you can't, but acknowledging it. And so there was someone that was working on sending out a agency-wide email and I gave some feedback on it. <laughs> and she wrote back and said, Oh yeah, this kind of sounds like coming from that like that that some of the tenants that Desiree was talking about the forum. And so it's like leads to these conversations where we can openly talk mm -hmm. about these things right. um, and integrate it. And it's okay. Like it's not, you know, let's name it. Like we've all, you know, with mm -hmm. humility and um and appreciation for like you know people's effort and labor and helping us learn and you know each other. And it just was a, a real example of of that. So thanks, Desiree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yay, see, a win. A big thank you to today's panelists from Communicare Health Centers and for taking us on your organization's DEI journey. Thank you to our live audience and to our listeners. I'm your host, Arlene Pena, and we'll see you next time in the QI chat room. Thanks, everyone. Thank you again to Arlene Pena for hosting this episode and to you, our listeners, for tuning in. If you have suggested topics for future episodes, please email them to m-p-e-r-r-e-y at aliadoshealth.org. Till next time on the QI Chat Room. <laughs>